Okay, this is not a hypothetical question. I'm really asking you. Who of you know anything about the old camp meetings that used to happen maybe as much as 150 years ago for about 100 years? Have you ever heard of the camp meetings? Oh, are you in for it? This is part of our heritage, not just a Methodist heritage, although it's clearly Methodist heritage as well. Um, it's our religious, cultural heritage, the camp meetings. They happen, um, like I say, starting around 150 years ago, at least um, here in Texas, in the South, in the Midwest, the Great Plains, um, you know, just the mountain areas of uh, Appalachia. These camp meetings were, would be called together maybe July or August. The, the, the crops were, were in, in Texas, they were already completely in and, and harvested, but in a lot of other places, they were, they were, you know, they had a little bit of free time. And for sometimes as long as two weeks, families would gather. I mean, whole communities would go out to the Grove area where the camp meetings were held, and they would camp out for eight to 10 days, sometimes as much as two weeks. Always included two consecutive Sundays. And they would have these camp meetings led by a pastor, an evangelist, and a, and a song leader. And, uh, and, and they would, uh, you know, it would be all the family, the chickens, the dogs, the mules, the horses, everything, all their food. They camped in, in tents um, in little communities. Um, and uh, the women cooked their, all the meals uh, over open campfires. They say camp meetings were hell on women and a paradise for children and dogs because it was an incredible time that these people that lived out in the frontier would uh, have an opportunity to be around their neighbors, really around their neighbors. They said there was almost no privacy, um, but they didn't have a lot of time anyway because they had three services a day, three times a day of worship. Plus, in the evenings, just around sunset, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, they would gather for sort of a, an exper uh, experiential time or maybe testimonial time. But it was all about, um, there were certain components that were part of every camp meeting. Um, they were anguish over their sins. There would be a lot of mourning over personal sins on what they called the mourner's bench. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. And um, it was all about getting saved, getting saved. And it was a, a, a huge experience. You may think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. It does, because that is the, the cultural, religious sea that we're all still swimming in. The, the, our, our heritage, the Methodist heritage, particularly goes way back to the camp meetings. Um, it was how Methodism and churches spread as, as the pioneers moved west 
they would move west and they would have the circuit riders the Methodists, you know, and they would set up little churches and they would go and travel around. And then once a year, they'd have these camp meetings. And it's <coughs> how the Methodist church became the largest church, uh, uh, Protestant church in the United States for many years because of uh, particularly these camp meetings. It wasn't just a Methodist thing. But there was, um, again, these three times a day of services. And the preaching was intense. Pretty, pretty intense. It was all about recognizing your sin and um, recognizing that you are a sinner, mourning for your sin until you reached a point, uh, you would go to the mourner's bench. Now they were all on benches. Uh, these were just posts, you know, and they had planks uh, across the top and branches. And so they would all sit in these little places. But then there was the mourner's bench. The soapbox was the, was the pulpit, dry goods store, soapbox, and then, and then the mourner's bench to the side. So when you were convicted, when it was pulled in your heart, you would, you would go up to the mourner's bench and you would sit and then people would come up around you and encourage you on until you reached a point that you felt like you were saved. And then there was a big rejoicing and you were, you were saved and you went through all of that. This was, um, this is how, how so this was our heritage, folks. Uh, we don't do this anymore, but this, the whole idea of Friday night at uh, church camp, those of you who have been to church camp, yeah, a few, a few. Friday night was kind of a scripted night for being saved, you know. It's kind of in that, in that, uh, that uh, heritage sort of thing. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of the information that I'm bringing to you today about the camp meetings came from a book that I recently discovered. It's by a man named uh, John A. Lomax, and the book is called The Adventures of a Ballad Hunter. He uh, wrote this book many, 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 many years ago. He was born in 1867. And when he was two, his family set out west. They came to Texas and they on, you know, covered wagons and, and they got as far as Bosque County. Bosque County, does anybody know where that is? It's uh, near Meridian, on the road that goes from Waco up through Meridian and on into Northwest Texas. And, uh, and they settled there along Spring Creek. And, um, he writes about the camp meetings when he was a little boy and what it was like, how incredibly wonderful the camp meetings were until it was his turn on the penitent bench, but the mourner's bench. But anyhow, um, <coughs> his book is not about, about camp meetings. His book is about listening to cowboy songs as a little boy living on the trail, the, the, the cattle trails, and hearing the cowboys sing and how it became a life's work for him is gathering these ballads and cowboy songs. Fascinating book. But I thought the camp meeting part was interesting. Uh, the singing was a huge part of the camp meetings. Singing like, um, I'm bound for the promised land. You know that one. I'm bound for the promised land. Uh, there is a fountain filled with blood. That was a, one we sang today, one that was often sung. It's kind of, we would look at it today and think, that's pretty gruesome. but. That was part, again, of their religious, cultural 
sea that they lived in. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. We still sing that one today. Um, and then, for such a worm as I, remember that hymn? Okay. Um, the idea of these camp meetings sounds a little bit strange today. Yes? You know? The, the fervor, the earnestness of it, the, the urgency of, of getting right with God, the guilt that was just piled on and piled on and piled on, and the fear of uh, where are you going to spend your eternity and, you know, all of that. All of that was a part of it. Um, it sounds a lot like parts of the Bible. Like John the Baptist, you know, where he said, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? You know, in Matthew where he said that. Uh, and it was like fear and trembling, harshness. Um, it's not the dramatic thing of, uh, of Saul on the road to Damascus, but even in our Methodist heritage in England, John Wesley, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he was out doing field preaching and calling and bringing people to the point where they felt the, the uh, salvation of God and, and being saved. It was, a, it was different than we do it today. We hear that resonance in parts of Scripture. My point is, do you hear resonances of that in today's Scripture? Remember where I read? They said, Master, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. Come and see. There was none of this get your life right with God, and then you can come and be saved. There was none of this, this uh, such, a, such a worm as you, you know, uh, all of that horrible guilt-enforced, uh, fearful-based preaching is not in today's scripture, is it? In today's scripture, I hear Jesus calling the very first disciples, and it is a gracious welcome, a gracious, simple invitation. It's gentle words, quietly spoken. Gentle words, quietly spoken. Um, I know that you heard this scripture last week, that Terry, uh, Reverend Terry Heisland, preached on this, and he and I talked about it, and I said, oh, do I dare do this again? Uh, I really want to preach on this passage. And, and as we talked, I realized that, that his approach and my approach on this scripture are very different. And this is not in any way a corrective on what Terry had to say last week. I fully applaud uh, as he laid out his sermon uh, to me. It's just this is a different sermon on the very same text. And if you'll remember what he talked about in the book of John, that the book of John is multifaceted, many-layered. Do you remember him saying that? That you can look at it from a lot of different windows approaches, perspectives, and the, the book of John is so deep and so meaningful that it comes alive on whatever approach, whatever window you're looking into, 
the view that you see is still alive. It's living scripture. And I just want to illustrate that with this passage of sermon looking at the calling of the first disciples from such a different approach and yet hopefully something that will amplify your life and your meaning and your, and <coughs> excuse me, um, it's living scripture. Let's explore how Jesus called his uh, first disciples. He invited them. It was a gentle work, welcome. It whetted their curiosity, didn't it? He said, well, when they said, where are you staying? Basically, they were saying, how can we come spend more time with you? He just said, come and see. Come and check it out for yourself. There was not uh, you, you, and you may come. Everybody else, no. It's not an exclusive, exclusionary, some are acceptable, some are not. Again, he didn't say, repent of your sins and get yourself right with God, and then you can come, you can come see. Do you hear that in this passage? Not at all. Not at all. It is all are welcome. Um, All are invited. And all are here to explore. Find out. Look. Come and see, is what he said. Now, Jesus was not what the disciples were looking for. Don't you know? They, they were not, the, the, he, didn't, he didn't look like the Messiah they were expecting. He didn't talk like the Messiah they were expecting. Um, and even people like Nathaniel were kind of looking down on him just because he came from Nazareth, which is kind of a backwater, uh, not highly respected place. And yet, when they said, when he said, come and see, and when they did go and observe and watch and experience for themselves, they discovered Jesus, the Son of God, the living Son of God, and he was available to them. Available, as available as as much as they wanted to be and explore, he was there for them. He was gentle. You know, Jesus our Savior said, come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take up my yoke and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the invitation that we find of the first disciples through the book of John. It's a gentle invitation. And maybe, maybe just right for a time as this. We live in a pretty raucous time, don't we? Getting more and more coarse. It's getting louder and louder. It's getting more full of, of just competing voices, all of them knowing that they're right. Yeah? And they're the only way, yeah? You hear it constantly. And, and, and we have bifurcated, <laughs> you know? We are becoming uh, over here and over here. And never, never will we come together and say, come and see or come and explore. All these gentle words that Jesus spoke, we don't, we don't have those kinds of words flowing back and forth these days, do we? No. Um, 
particularly as people look at Christians. There's a stereotype of who we are. And it's kind of self-righteous, you know? People think of us as uh, very judgmental, very opinionated, very much we know who's in and we know who's out and we know what's right and we know what's wrong and, and we're, we're here to tell you how to get your life right and then you can become one of us. That's our heritage. That's kind of what we have, have um, uh, still live in, in the, the camp meeting kind of, of approach not just Methodists, you know, just a whole lot of churches are that way. There has not been so long that people believed that if you didn't go to this church, my church, you were pretty shaky ground as far as getting to heaven, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, may we have, oh Lord, may we have gotten beyond that. But, do people know that we are beyond that? Do people know that, that when we become the life of the Lord Jesus, that we are gentle and humble of heart, that we are kind and gracious and we have soft, gentle words, and that we're not about fixing other people, but we're about letting God in his life and embrace, embrace people and they ch as they are changed from the inside out, not by our doing, because we know so much more than they do. Yes? Folks, it is another approach. You know, as we get older, those of us who are get older in here, we tend to believe that the old ways are the best ways. And that's okay. Maybe in many cases they are. The problem comes when we believe that the old ways are the only way. The old ways are the only way. They are not. No matter how precious the old ways, what we taught, how we were brought up, um, of what salvation is like and what it's like to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is only one approach, and we will find resonance for it in the Bible. But if we feel like that uh, the old ways are the only way, then we need to open our scriptures some more, particularly the book of John, and read some more with an open mind and an open heart to learn how our gentle Savior Use kind, gentle, loving, inviting words to draw people in. He was winsome. May we be winsome as we approach the people that we encounter, that God brings us to in our lives. Not so we can get them saved, but so that we can introduce them to the life of Jesus Christ. So that we can introduce them to experience, maybe through us, the gracious, kind, loving, compassionate, forgiving God through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
In Jesus' name, I say these words and offer them to you this day. Amen.